You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. How's everyone? Good. Man, I am so excited to be here. I, I just feel butterflies in my stomach as to what the Lord's doing in this room. You can sense the love. It's palpable. Um, so, yay, Frisco. So cool. And, and not only that, I, I think the, the measure of a community is in the response to the Lord when he comes in the room. And uh, your response to Jesus in worship. I know that may be, some, that may be new for some of you. Um, but, but I believe uh, when, when the Holy Spirit manifests, it's Jesus manifesting. And so our response to the Holy Spirit is our response to Jesus. And in Luke chapter 7, um, Jesus comes at the request of a Pharisee. He comes to his house. And, and there's a lot that you can unpack in what happened at the house. Uh, but he's, he's giving commentary on his experience when he came inside the house that he was invited to. Because they set a table for him, they, they had friends and fellowship, but there was another woman who kind of crashed the party, and, uh, and, and she made a scene, and, and everyone's responding to her, but Jesus takes the host of the party, and he says this, he says, when I entered into your house, let me tell you what I experienced, you gave me no water for my feet, you gave me no oil for my head. You gave me no kisses or affections, and yet she hasn't stopped giving me those things. And, and my prayer is that we as a family do that really, really well, that we respond rightly to the Lord when he comes into the house. He's, he's the guest of honor, but when he comes, he takes the position of the host, and it's for your good that we rightly love him. The Songs of Solomon says, Songs of Solomon says rightly do they love you, and I want to rightly love him as a family, amen? So it was just really cool to see um, that offering of worship when we were saying you're beautiful in all your ways and to sense his pleasure at your heart, little you, a <laughs> little broken you, little broken me telling him he's beautiful, that he, he finds pleasure in that. He's moved by that. And I believe it's the primary reason a church has been planted in Frisco is to rightly love the Lord when he comes into the room, especially. So yay, yay, yay. Um, well, I've been listening to Jeremy's sermons, and I realized he always starts with a joke. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I've got a joke. There you go, Jeremy. I've never read a joke. It's from an email that I received, but if it's inappropriate. It's Jeremy's fault. This is a priest, a minister, and a rabbi. <laughs> wanted to find out who's best at his job. So they decided that each of them would go into the woods and find a bear and attempt to convert it. <laughs> Later that day, they got together. The priest began. I found a bear sitting by a tree. I blessed him and sprinkled him with holy water. Next week is his first communion. The pastor says, well, I found a bear by a stream, and I preached God's holy word to him, the gospel. The bear was so mesmerized that he let me baptize him in the waters. <laughs> then they both looked at the rabbi, who's all scratched and bruised, with his clothes torn to shreds, and the rabbi looks at them and says, maybe I shouldn't have started with the circumcision. LAUGHTER 
Is that, is that too much? You're welcome. It's Jeremy's fault. Blame Jeremy. Um, <laughs> hey, baptism is, is awesome. Last week in, in, at Upper Room Dallas, we baptized 35 people. And uh, I know it's so cool. And I want to say, say at least 30 of them were millennials. And it was their first time to give their life to Jesus. Many of them had been disconnected from the church and had rediscovered their faith within the last six months at the upper room. So it's awesome what God's doing. It's awesome what he's doing with baptism specifically. Baptism is so, it's so special. We have two ordinances uh, within the tradition of Christianity. One of them is baptism and the other is communion. And there's such semblance, such prophetic, uh, it's a prophetic experience. Um, those two things. And so I, we just love baptism. If you have not been water baptized, I recently found uh, a staff member. He's an executive level staff member. He had never been water baptized, but he had never told anyone because he was embarrassed. And he thought, I've grown too much in my faith to admit that I haven't done this. And he came and he said, I want to be water baptized. And it was a very intimate setting. But I want you to know, if you've never been water baptized, please please sign up and get water baptized. It is, it's an act of obedience. It's hard to find someone that not, did not come to salvation and uh, be water baptized. It's such an integral part of you identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I really want to invite you into that. Uh, tonight, though, I, I want to start just a two-week. I don't know if y'all do series often. I know I don't do series often back in Dallas, but I want to speak on the same topic for the next two weeks. And you may notice that you have uh, one of the ordinances in your chair. It's communion. And I want to, I want to just invite you uh, over the next two weeks. So for the next 14 days, I want to give you an assignment. Is that cool? Can I give you an assignment as a family, especially if you're married with kids? I want to invite you to once a day as a family or as an individual take communion. Uh, we've been on a 30, I'm going on my second month of taking communion every day with my family. And it's transforming my kids. It's transforming the way that they see the gospel and experience the gospel. Um, we, we, and, and for those that wonder, like, can kids take communion? Yes, they can. If they're your kids, they can. Uh, because it was taken out of the Passover meal. That's what, where the Christian communion came is from Passover. And Passover is a way that they handed down their tradition of the Passover to their children. It is so kid-friendly. And so we have been um, taking this as a family. And my three-year-old, I usually sit at the head of the table and I started leading out the communion for our family. And so I would walk through the bread and walk through the blood. And so my three-year-old, little Freeland, cute as can be. He said, daddy, this morning, I want to lead the communion service. And so I was like, all right, bud, come here. And so he got in my lap and he took out the communion and he grabbed the, the bread. And he said, this is Jesus's body when he drowned. <laughs> and we've been teaching him. We have a pool. And so the swim coach has been coming out and trying to teach him how to swim. But right now we are in the throes of teaching him that water is dangerous. That if you get around water, you could die. Water is dangerous. And so he, he uh, 
when he thinks of water, he thinks of danger and death. And so when he thinks of Jesus dying, he's like, well, Jesus drowned. <laughs> They're like, no, Jesus didn't drown. And so immediately my six-year-old raises her hand, you know, at the table, like, that's not what happened, you know? And so I'm like, okay, well, what did happen? And so she says, well, Jesus was taken outside and she starts with the whipping post. And as a six-year-old starts to describe that his back was whipped and then he hung on a cross and she explains the cross. And so my three-year-old's listening. And so he then tries again and he says, well, Jesus was spanked <laughs> and he drowned in wood. And so, so my three-year-old's really confused about the gospel right now. Um, so we need to pray for him. But um, no, he, 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 every day since then, it's been two weeks um, he now knows that Jesus died on a cross. He now knows that uh, he can talk through why we take the bread. He knows that he was whipped 39 times. He knows where the nails went into Jesus' body. And he knows that blood came out of those wounds. And that's what's in the cup. And at three, we're able to experience the gospel together in a tangible way. And I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a tradition actually that had a high value in view of the table, we took communion every single week. Like, as, as, a, as, a, as a kid, I knew the reason we went to church was to take the Lord's Supper. It is why we came. On vacation, I remember specifically, we were at Disneyland in California, and it was Sunday. And my dad, we drove right past the park because we had to find a church of Christ on Sunday morning so that we as a family could take communion. And I was so mad. <laughs> like, no. But we, and of course, we're in California. We hit traffic. And we finally, though, found uh, this church. And in our tradition, like, it was not uncommon for someone in our tradition to come in to take communion. And so an elder took us to the back. I remember holding hands and I remember breaking bread, drinking wine, and then we went to Disney World, thank God. But, but we had such a high value for communion, we did it every single week. Um, other, others of you may have grown into tradition where it was a special, like consecrated Sunday where you did it once or twice. Maybe you did it once a month. Oftentimes at the upper room, it's available in the back. But sometimes I think we, we, we neglect the table together. And, and this is so central to our faith. It's so central to our, 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 our gathering and fellowship is that we share the same bread. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says, by one bread, the many are made one. That there's this commonality and this union and, and that this is our source and that this is his table that he has prepared for us. David had such insight to the Lord in Psalms 23 verse 5 when he says, you've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He was speaking of this table. He was speaking of the bread and the wine. And, and what I want to do over the next two weeks, my goal, and I've seen the fruit now over a month. I just taught a series back in Dallas. I've seen the fruit of it in families. I've seen marriages restored in the last 30 days. I've seen uh, little kids. I'll share one testimony of a kid 
that was healed of allergies because their parents began taking communion over their, uh, their children. I saw, I've seen one person that had a cancer diagnosis. The cancer's not completely gone, but they're seeing it uh, in regression or however that works, like the numbers are going uh, uh, back down and they're, they're just rejoiced because they're seeing breakthrough in it. And so I, I think if we'll gather around the table, this has the ability to increase our faith in what has been provided for you and me. Every need in this room can be met at this table. It's his table. All are welcomed. If you believe in the Lord Jesus, this table is for you. If you feel unworthy, this table is for you. If you have sin in your life, this table is for you. If you're broken, if you're questioning, if you're in unbelief, this table's for you. (laughs) This table, it's so holy, it's so right, and I want to weaponize it for you. I want this to be artillery that you can fight demons with, that you can go after diagnoses with, that you can start to go after to relationships around this. I believe this is a place of intercession. It gives us a point of contact for our faith that we can actually break the bread and drink the blood over certain areas in our life and God responds. Yep. It's so true. But, but what we've done is we've just kind of like, oh, thank you God for dying and, and, and we kind of move on. But I feel like if we will gather daily, if you like get on Amazon right now, you can order These things are on Amazon. They're like 20 bucks for a couple of hundred. And so we've done that. We have them all over our house. In fact, my three-year-old, he loves these so much. (laughs) He found my stash. And one night, one night, he, he gets up in the middle of the night. We don't know what he does in the middle of the night, but we do know what he did this specific night because he went in and he, he just rummaged through them all. They were like 50 to 75. He drank them, ate the cup, cups everywhere. And I'm like, what were you doing last night, buddy? I was taking communion. All right. Praise the Lord. But I just, I really want, I really want to encourage you, you know, and if you're wondering, well, what does the Bible say about this? The Bible says for as often as you take it. So for, for as often as you take it, I know a woman who had stage four ovarian cancer. She wrote a book, Barbara Lowen, uh, she wrote a book called The Miracle of Communion. And uh, she tapped into this revelation with stage four cancer. She had a death sentence, supposed to die in four months. And she started taking this meal up to 10 times a day. Every time they wanted to give her a pill, she would first take communion and say, this is my source. This is my sustenance. This is what will heal my body. And she went through with what the doctors said, but she is now like, I think it's 15 years past that diagnosis, cancer-free, healed, and testifying to the power of this meal. And so um, tonight, I want to break down the bread for you. Is that cool? Uh, next week we'll look at the blood, which is one of my favorite topics. But I think when I think around the table, like I think if I were to like throw a rock, say, hey, what's the, what's the, bre- uh, what's the blood? I think most people would go, man, this is what the blood, the blood speaks, the blood's for forgiveness, the blood's for sanctification, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. But when we come to the bread, we're like, Lord, thank you for the bread. <laughs> like what's the purpose of the bread? We sometimes lump the bread into the blood, but they have very distinct purposes. It is bread and blood. And so tonight I want to, I want to help you. um, I want to help your faith. I want to feed your faith around what the bread is for. Now we know the bread represents his what? 
his body. The bread represents his body. So that, that's, that's very important that it represents God coming near, that the word became flesh, that God, God had prepared a body for his son. Uh, the beautiful news of the gospel is that the blood running through Jesus's body was God's own blood. It was God's blood. And, 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 and he was looking for a body which would be an offering. This is Hebrews chapter 10. And he found that in Mary. So when, when, when the Holy Spirit conceived inside of Mary, it was a human body that had conceived immaculately, like supernaturally, but it was God's DNA in a body. Like, like Adam was the first one. So Adam was formed of dust. So he made a body out of dust. But then Adam wasn't alive until God went... And when he breathed that life, blood came into Adam. And that blood was pure, holy, untainted. It was perfect. Are you with me? It was perfect. But then we know what happened. Adam sinned and it tainted his blood. It tainted the life that was within him. When he died spiritually, something happened internally with Adam. And so when Jesus came in the flesh, Jesus was the second Adam, but he had received that precious life inside of a body. So the blood, we'll get to the blood and talk about the significance of God shedding his own blood for our sin next week. But we need to understand that that blood was encapsulated in a body and that body was to be offered as an offering for us. And the body is really important for us to understand. I believe the body or the bread represents, uh, it represents the Lord's carnality, but it represents him identifying with our sins because of what his body would go through. His body would on the cross would, would, would endure a lot. And so I'm going to, I'm going to get to that here in just a second, but the focus text for the next two weeks, because we love the Bible. Yes. We love the Bible. So I'm going to give you a pericope, which means it's a section of text that we're going to talk through over the next couple of weeks. It's in first Corinthians chapter 11. So flip over there, please bring your Bibles. Let's be people of the word creatures of the word. Um, there's, this is the most revelation we have on the meal, and I'm not gonna. I, I may, I may, I may disclaim a few things. There, I did some thorough teaching on this and in, in, in some of the nuances of this text, but I really want to focus on two verses. So I'll read through and give some commentary, and then when I get to my two texts, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit on them. Is that cool? So. This is Paul speaking of a revelation that he received from the Lord Jesus himself. So, and, and it was a revelation about the meal. So in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. So this is directly from the Lord. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this for as often as you remember me. So these details are not new. We knew these details prior to Paul giving us this revelation. The only new revelation that we have from Paul is in the next verse. Remember, Paul received this from the Lord. He's telling them what he received. Verse 26 is the revelation that Paul adds that he received from the Lord. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, so for as often as you do it, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming. So that, that word for proclaiming is actually preach. It's, it's the same word we get to preach. So this, 
This act is a message that we're proclaiming to ourselves, to our circumstances, to our relationships. We're proclaiming something. We're proclaiming two realities. We're proclaiming that the Lord has died. Amen? We're proclaiming that his death has happened. That these relics represent his death. So we're proclaiming his death. But it's so interesting because it says we proclaim his death until what? Until he comes. So we're proclaiming his death. We're proclaiming that he has died. But we're also proclaiming when we're taking this that he will return. Meaning the one who has died is now alive and he will come back. So we're proclaiming what was his death in the midst of what is and what is to come. It's those three realities that anchor our faith the cross, grace, and the great hope. Does that make sense? I could go off on that, but I'm not going to, but that's really, really good. So then from there, Paul's going to give commentary on what he received from the Lord in verse 27. So in 27, he says, therefore, everyone say, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now these used to frighten me. So anyone who Eats or drinks in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood and guilty of the body. So Paul's addressing something very specific at the church at Corinth. They were eating it in an unworthy manner. Uh, The rich were eating and drinking all the food and wine, and they were excluding the poor. And so there was division and factions at the table, and he would say that's taking this in an unworthy manner. What religion has done is it's actually scared people from coming to the table because they don't feel like they're worthy to take it. And listen, this does not say you have to be a worthy man to take. It's not about a worthy man or woman. It's about a worthy manner. And and the manner is understanding, understanding the relics and what they mean. It's understanding that this table is actually open for all. No one is worthy to take this meal. This meal is actually what makes us worthy. And it's the acknowledgement of that that we approach in humility and we subject our lives to the relics to understand the power of them. But I just don't want you to think that you're going to be guilty of the blood or guilty of the body because you feel unworthy to come, because you have sin in your life. That's not what it is. Does this make sense? He was speaking to cultural issues where there was pride and it was a leadership issue, actually. They weren't setting the table well what had been provided. And, 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 and the issue is actually found in 21 and 22 of this verse chapter, but I'm not going to go there. So, so you need to eat it. And then it says, but a man must examine himself. And in doing so, he's to eat the bread and drink the cup. So this again, unworthy manner, I need to examine myself. What am I examining myself? Well, I'm probably examining myself for what's wrong with me. <laughs> you with me? We used to be scared to death to take the meal. I would like, I had a top 10 of my sins that week and I would make sure I wrote them all out. And if I wrote them all out and I felt bad enough, then I would come to the table, ask for forgiveness and I would move on to the next week. And that summed up my Christian life. And I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about here either. Again, I could go really deep into this. Um, I like when the Bible interprets the Bible. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul uses this same word, examine yourself. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he says, but you should examine yourself. Do you have that one up there, bro? Oh, good. Test yourselves to see um, if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. So what are we examining ourselves for? We're examining ourselves for faith. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? So we're examining ourselves for faith because Jesus lives within us. And so when I examine my heart, I examine Jesus. What do I need to feed in my life so that you can manifest yourself more? 
What does it look like for me to feed my faith? I'm examining myself for faith, and this meal equips and fuels my faith so that I can leave differently when I walk away. Does this make sense? So we're examining ourselves for faith. We're examining ourselves, where do we need faith? If there's fear in your life, then you need to feed yourself this meal so that you can grow in faith around it. So we examine ourselves uh, for faith, but a man must examine himself and in doing so, eat the, eat the bread, drink the cup. Okay, 29 and 30 are, are, are the two verses that I wanted to focus on. Um, <clears throat> it says, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, now this, this, this is like profound scripture. This is a profound verse when it comes to the table. It says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number asleep or a number have died. So for this reason, many of you are sick, weak, and asleep. So there were people that died prematurely because they didn't understand what they had access to at this table. There were people that were sick and there were people that were weak. Is this what this says? Okay, so what, what I've always wondered is, is okay, well, wh- okay, well I, this is a really important detail, Paul, so, wh- okay, what, what did you mean? And, and I, I, had, I, had, I had this breakthrough about a month ago when I was like meditating on this scripture. I was meditating on it. I was like, well, what is it, Lord? Because this is so important for us as people to understand because if, if the negative's true, then wouldn't the positive be true too? What if we took it right? Would that mean that we're strong, healthy, and we walk out the fullness of days? Now, I believe that's the Lord's will for everyone in this room, right? Are you following me? So this is what hit me. This is what hit me. I was studying the scripture, and it says, for this reason. Those three words hit me, for this reason. For this reason. It's not for these reasons, plural, but for this reason. Many of you are sick, weak, and dying. And so what I did is I went back to 29, and I was like, well, what is the reason? And the reason is found in the last line. The reason's found in the last line. It says, it says, if he does not judge the body rightly or discern the body rightly. That's the last thing that he talks about. He talks about discerning the body rightly or judging the body rightly. Now, when I think of the body, I think of Jesus saying, here's my body, eat this. So I think Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29, is actually speaking about the body or the bread. And this is what I want to propose to you tonight. And I, I now am like full of faith with it because I've been sitting on it. And so this may be the first time I present it to you, but search scriptures and see. I believe that the bread that's been supplied for us is actually for our physical healing. I believe the bread gives us strength, health, and longevity. We have access to that. I believe that this meal can heal. And I don't believe it in like a a superstitious kind of try the meal out type invitation. I believe like us sitting and regularly feeding ourselves this meal and coming under the weight of it will heal us. 
I think the, the blood has specific purposes, which we'll get into next week. But I think it's interesting how little detail there is in the actual bread. Like if you, if you look, even as Jesus described it in Matthew chapter um, 26, are you guys with me? Y'all good? Okay. Just, it's pretty teachy, but I, I, I really feel like this is important for some of you. Um, in Matthew 26, verse 26 and 28, when Jesus is, is initiating this meal with his disciples, he does something so interesting. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. That's all he says. Take and eat, this is my body. When he goes to the blood though, um, he gives them the blood, drink it, and then he says, for this is the blood of my covenant. So this is the blood, there's covenant in blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we know the blood is for forgiveness of sins, but he gives no commentary on the bread. Isn't that interesting? I'm like, it would have been so easy, especially in this lesson tonight, if you just would have said, take this bread, eat it, it's for your physical healing. Right? I'm like, that, that would be so simple if you just lay that out clearly. And, and I, I felt from the Lord, I felt from the Lord, he said, he said it's the glory, you know, there's a proverb that says, it's the glory of kings, it's the glory of God to conceal something, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. Do you know the Lord used parables a lot? And I used to think that he used parables in order to make an earthly, it was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. How many of you have heard that definition? Like as a kid, it's like an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Like that's what a parable's for. That's not why Jesus used parables though. Jesus actually used parables to hide truths. Jesus would share parables so people wouldn't understand what he was talking about which is like kind of tweaks us, especially in our like, as a teacher, people are like, make it practical. I'm like, man, I talk to Jesus. Like, <laughs> you know, like sometimes you're reading him and you're like, what did you mean? What does this mean? It feels good, but what does it mean? And, and what would happen is Jesus would tell a story and then he'd get alone with his disciples and they're like, bro, no one knows what you're talking about. Will you tell us? And Jesus would go, yes, yes. It's, it's for you that I'll unveil the mysteries of the kingdom. And he would then unpack these mysteries to them. And I think sometimes God conceals deep truths in simple illustrations to see how hungry we are and then we'll search it out. And I believe the bread, I believe the bread is one of these truths that, 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 that we as a people have not explored the depths of what his body is for. I believe we've celebrated the blood and we know the blood to an extent, but I believe there's such a lack of revelation around the bread. One of the main reasons I know is that the majority of us, when we get sick, we don't first come to this table. When, when we get a diagnosis, when something's, we'll run to other things, doctors, pills, and I'm all for, I mean, I called my doctor last week. So like, I've got a doctor, I've got prescription medicine now, but it doesn't mean that those things, I don't want to elevate those things above this table. This table is my source. Are you following me? So I want you to be strong, I want you to be whole, and I want you to live out the longevity that Jesus has for you. So let's look at the bread, let's look at some scriptures around um, the bread or the body specifically. And, um, and, and, and the main place, which it's, it's, it's probably pretty common knowledge where you would go is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a messianic prophecy. It talks about the suffering servant. It's a really, really in-depth prophetic word that Isaiah had a couple hundred years before Christ 
would die. And so Isaiah 53 verse one, it says, uh, who's believed the report of the Lord. And it's the Lord's report. It's an amazing report, but I want to uphold over every report in this room, the Lord's report over your life. And I believe this meal is his report to you that he's made it so, so, so simple for us to eat the report. You know, I was sitting with the Lord and I was thinking, um, are y'all with me? Y'all good? Yeah. Okay. I am too. Um, I was with the Lord and I was like, why, why, why eating? Why eating? Why do we eat bread and drink why is eating so important to you? Because I just, I mean, I just feel his zeal around this meal. And, and immediately I saw the power of a bite because I saw what one bite brought to mankind in Genesis chapter three. It was through the bite that sin came into the world. And it's through a bite that he eradicates it in our own body. Think about that. Think about that. When you come, you're coming and you're now eating from the one who came to give you life and life to the full. It's this table that we find life at. <laughs> it makes me hungry. Like John, John 6 verse 55, it says, it says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Listen, we got all kinds of diets. So I've been doing keto ketoed up. I'm in ketosis right now. It's running through my blood, right? I feel it. I love it. It's the best diet ever. You can eat meat and more meat and more meat. And somehow your body goes in this thing called ketosis and you lose. Anyways, we, we, we need to realize though that, that, that Jesus's, Jesus's body is true food and Jesus's blood is true drink. Your, your body is impacted by what you ingest. And I believe in the spirit when you're prophetically eating these things, it transforms you. There's such provision around this table. And so we believe the report of the Lord. We believe coming to this table and eating Isaiah 53. Sorry, I'll get to this. So who believes the report of the Lord? Again, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 53, it's a great chapter. It's all good, but this one's really good. Who believes our message? And it talks about Jesus. He grew up like a tender shoot. No stately form or ma uh, majesty that we should look upon him. No appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken by men. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. Um, and like from one who mid hid, men hid their faces, he was despised and we did not esteem him. This is all speaking of the cross. I've heard this used that Jesus wasn't an attractive man. He wasn't attractive on the cross. It's about him being despised and forsaken on the cross. Him identifying with our sorrows, acquainted with our grief. Men hiding their face, despising him, not esteeming him. And in verse 4, this is the one I wanted to hit. It says, and surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. This word for griefs in the Hebrew, it's an interesting word. Israel, you're from Israel. Do you know Hebrew? A little bit? I won't put you on the spot, although I just put you on the spot. Um, well, this, this word, it's, it's I, I, I was looking at it because I was like, well, what does this mean? And, and it's, it's chole. Everyone say chole. You got to do the throat thing. Chole. Okay, chole. And, and it's, it's translated in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's translated close to 22 times. 
and over half of those, it's translated sickness. Uh, disease, seven, grief, four, sick, one. It's only four times is it translated grief here. And I have a friend that, that runs a house of prayer in uh, Israel. And so I just wanted to see what word they used for sickness, just to see. And so I, I said, hey, what do you use for sickness word-wise in the Hebrew? That's all I said. And he replied to me, he said, hey, bro, um, the word we use is chole with the throat, CH sound, the sound that most no, no Americans can make. He said, and then he went off. He was like, Isaiah 53, it says grief and sorrow, but the word for grief in Hebrew is sickness. He bore our sickness. The word for sorrow uh, is machinuvi, which means pain. So he bore our sickness and he bore our pain. Um, not grief and sorrow, although it can be translated sometimes in that way. And so he talks that this is that he bore our sickness in his body. He bore it in his body on the cross. He identified with our sickness. One of the ramifications of that bite in Genesis chapter three is that people became sick. Sickness is a fruit of sin. It is I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that if you're sick today that you're in sin. I'm just saying that it, 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 it affects us all. And, and so just like we have a savior and grace and the redemptive power that releases forgiveness from sin and breaks the power of sin, I believe that the bread heals our bodies. Um, <clears throat> the Young's little translation translates it this way. It says, surely our sickness he hath bore and our pains he carried them. <clears throat> this is later... Uh, found in Matthew 8, when Matthew is giving commentary on the life of Jesus, he actually quotes Isaiah 53, verse 4. In, Isaiah 50, in Matthew 8, 16, he quotes, uh, and, and this is how he quotes it. He cast out spirits with a word. He healed all who were ill. This is Jesus walking through. And then in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken to the Isaiah prophet. He himself took our infirmities or took our diseases. He carried them away. Isn't this powerful? I, I just, I don't think we preach this enough. I think sometimes when it's preached, it's preached very legalistically and it's heavy handed, but, but the grace of the Holy Spirit empowers this message for you to have faith that Jesus Christ is your healer. For a long time, the church has walked in a level of faith where we believe when a prayer prays a prayer uh, of faith to be forgiven, they're forgiven. We're, there's grace for that. People broke through in that. But I believe that we're breaking through as a church to believe that the same grace that gives us forgiveness is the same grace that heals our bodies. But we just haven't seen a lot of people healed, quite frankly. And we need to, we need to preach it more. We need to declare it more that this is a part of the atonement. It's a part of the reality that he has carried our diseases and that we can put our trust in this meal. We don't try the meal, but it's not a superstition. It's something that we entrust ourselves to. Amen? Amen. Um, <clears throat> so uh, Peter would, would again quote this in Isaiah 53 verse 5 he goes on he was pierced through our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the chastising for our well-being fall upon him and by his scourging we are healed so by his scourging we are healed this is another detail the scourging was something that Jesus took on his body this wasn't the crucifixion this was actually the whipping post where the whips came in and then Peter would actually quote uh, Isaiah 53.5 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now this is in the New Testament where he says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. In his body on the cross. There's the body. So that we might die to sin, live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were what? Yeah. By his wounds you were? Yeah. 
by his wounds you were healed. Those wounds that he's talking about are the scourging or the whipping posts where Jesus took the 39 lashes. So I, we know that Jesus didn't drown. Amen, amen. But, but Jesus, Jesus was, it, 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 was with, it was with, his death was purposeful. The, the, the process that his body endured, it endured it for your redemption. And, and it was specific so that the, the crucifixion and death of Jesus would be your provision. It would provide in the totality of what you would need to be set freed from sin. And part of that was him going to the whipping post. He didn't have to go to the whipping post. Jesus could have, there were other ways to kill a man. He could have, they could have just slit his throat. They could have drowned him. There was water. But Jesus' body went through a specific process unto death because he was bearing the punishment and the effects of sin in our lives. He took all those on so that we could trust ourselves to him to be liberated from them. And part of that is the scourging or the whipping post. Now, I, I really started to get into this. Uh, the whipping post was, was, was sadistic. It was a lictor. He was a trained Roman uh, official. All he did was whip people. And, and, and they think the process took about three minutes. And it was a cat of nine tails. It had uh, animal bone, chunks of uh, metal and, uh, not metal, uh, chunks of animal bone and uh, rocks and just sharp edges of pottery, all this stuff was at the end. And then he would just get in a rhythm and start whipping the, the flesh off the person that went through it. And it's called 40 minus one, because if they thought they did 40, the person would die. And this translation in first Peter chapter two, by his wounds, that word for wounds in the Greek is not plural, it's singular. And what many people think is that once the lictor was done with Jesus's back, it wasn't many wounds. It was one open piece of flesh. That when he hung on that cross, he did not have a back because of what his back went through. Now listen, that was with intent that the father let his son go through that. No man took Jesus's life. Jesus, in, Jesus gave his life. Jesus willingly went through what he went through with intent and purpose. And the Bible says that each one of those lashes was for your physical healing. And so those ribbons of skin represent the broken body that we feed ourselves with. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, should I give the children's bread? He's to a beggar, to a dog. And the children's bread that he's speaking of is healing. Healing is the children's bread. It's the wounds that his body went through. So I got geeked out about this. I was like, oh God, I'm, I'm, I've like heard this, but I'm getting faith personally for myself. And as I was, as I was praying through this and, and thinking through it, um, I, I heard someone say this a long time ago, but I never really searched it out. Um, I heard that there are 39 root causes to diseases, any disease can be connected to one of 39 roots. And I, I thought that was just like a, you know, sometimes preachers make stuff up. <laughs> Honestly, I'm a preacher. I make stuff up. I mean, it takes one to know one. And I'm like, eh, that sounds really cool. But is that really true? Because if it's true and, and in this revelation, like it's significant. And so I started, I started doing research and, uh, and, and, and I found this article uh, 
uh, about, I wanted to see how we classify diseases. That's what I first wanted to look. So I looked up classification of diseases. And there's actually a, an organization under the World Health Organization. It's a global organization that classifies all diseases that anyone would have. And they do these classifications. And these classifications are universal. In fact, all insurance, most, I think all insurance, I'm going to say all, but I know Every credible insurance agent uses, agency uses these IDC codes to identify a disease. So if you go into a doctor and they're messing with something, there's an ID, IDC code for that disease. What is it? ICD. Yeah, see, I did. There it is. There it is. ICD. Um, so this is what it is. It's ICD stands for International Classification of Diseases. The ninth revision came out in 2011. Coding is a universal or standard system used for the purpose of identifying diseases. These codes have three, four, five digits. These codes describe the reason for the visit, the illness, injury, or supplemental information. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I started reading, not, not there. Uh, do you have the actual website page? So there's a website page where this this document is there. And so I started, I started reading this document, this revision that happened. And it's, again, talks about, this is the ninth revision designed to code diseases into categories which are placed into administrative databases. These databases have been used for the uh, epidemiological studies. Okay, go to the next one. Go to the next one. So this was the results. Look at the results of this. The categories decided upon by the panel are shown in table one. This changed the number of major categories from the 17 found, this was like two decades earlier, they found 17 to the ICD-9 to 39 categories. So there's, what am I saying? There's 39 categories of diseases. So any disease, anything wrong with your body would fit under one of 39 categories. Why? Because he was whipped 39 times. Each whip for a root cause to a disease. Now, I can sense in my heart, well, why aren't I healed? <laughs> Listen, I, I, I don't think it's magic. I think it's intimacy, communion. And I think it's coming to this table and letting him feed you over and over and over and over again. There's a mom that sent me this testimony after this message, and then I'll land this. Just wanted to share with you that we've been reading the healing declarations over Bella this summer. This is Jenny Harper. She's a good friend of ours. And believing that she will be healed of all of her food allergies. Now, my kid is in a class or was in a class with Bella, and it affects the entire class. Like, we can't send peanuts. We can't send. There's a whole list of foods that we can't send because Bella could have a deathly reaction. So after Michael's sermon two weeks ago, we started taking communion as a family and declaring her healing. Last week's sermon really opened my eyes to the power of communion has healing access to. In faith, we scheduled a food challenge in the allergist office today. The test still showed uh, that she was allergic to soy, but her levels had declined, so the doctor was comfortable challenging her. This morning, it rained where we live on the way to the doctor's office, and our water represents the spirit. It gave me confirmation that he was with us. When we got to the doctor's office, we took communion before the challenge, which I love that. Bella was nervous at first. We together denounced any fear Satan was trying to make us feel and declare that by a stripe she was healed. I had no fear when Bella drank the first dose of soy milk. So soy milk was the major allergy she was... Um, this dose increased for the next four hours. And over time, 
she was overjoyed to say that there was absolutely no reaction to the soy allergy. Her soy allergy is gone forever in Jesus' name. It's so cool. The Saturday, the Saturday I preached this, um, there, was, there was two guys in, and uh, they had a friend that they were in out of town because they were visiting a friend that lives in Dallas. He had been stung by a bee three weeks prior. He had a crazy allergic reaction to this bee, bee uh, stinging him to the point that he went into a coma. Um, he had not woken up from a, a coma. I don't know if it was medically induced, but this guy was in a coma for three weeks. They'd been praying, praying, praying. So they took communion after this meal over his body in the room. Then they went to the hospital, took communion over his body, and two hours later, he woke up. So, listen, I, 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 just, I just think that healing should be much more normal than it is. And I want to contend with you with what the word of God says towards you. And I want to believe that Jesus Christ can heal your body tonight. That it's his will for you to get up out of a bed. That it's his will if you have a diagnosis over your life that you will not live in chronic pain. That's my hope in my heart. So can we take this together tonight as a family? So I'm just asking you for the next 14 days, get some Welch's grape juice, get some saltine crackers, goldfish, whatever works. And we're going to take communion together. Is this helpful for your faith? It's helpful for mine.